Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production, all the way to release and reception. Uh, season four, episode five. Am I right about that, Chris? You're right. It's the midway point of the new season. Uh, Oof. Yeah, and this is uh, we we kind of took a like a mini break here because I really wanted to do this movie. Uh, picking new movies is kind of tough now because. It's just like there's a lot going on. There's some stuff on streaming, some stuff in cinema. It's hard to sort of pick and choose what's going on. Um, but this one, I felt like we had to do uh, No Sudden Move, the new crime thriller from the one and only Steven Soderbergh uh, that is getting released or was, was just released here on July 1st in the United States on HBO Max. Uh, so a streaming film. Um you know, I have not, I mean, first of all, before we dive into the movie, I think we really have to talk about Steven Soderbergh and like our, our personal relationship with him uh, in terms yeah. of like, you know, uh, because he's one of those directors that um, became famous when we were teenagers. And so we probably mm-hmm. went to go see his movies when we were 16, 17 years old. Uh, I think they were very formative, uh, a lot of them. And he is a prolific person. Uh, and he's been, you know, incredibly active over the last twenty years plus. Uh, so I'm kind of interested to how you how you came to this movie. You know, what your feelings are about Steven Soderbergh. Um, love him, hate him, somewhere in between, probably. Like, how do you feel about him? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely somewhere in between. Um, I think if you had asked me that, like in 2003, I I would have been like, the man can do no wrong. <laughs> but. <laughs> um, it's just, yeah, the man's just done so much. And it's not, it's, I, I've tried my best, you know, over the years to like distance myself from being too like auteur focused because he's the kind of, uh, for better or worse, auteur that doesn't really have any interest in being an auteur, right? Yeah. Like he just wants to work. Like he's just wants to constantly make movies, make them the way he wants. And he's also like very independent. This movie, just like several of his others in the recent past, um, was was made pretty quickly. Uh, he shot it. He edited it under his pseudonyms, Peter Andrews and Marianne Bernard, uh, respectively. But for the most part, it's like he 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 has built this well oiled machine, and he'll do like maybe something a little bit uh, new and different, um, but ne- definitely never doing anything drastically. Uh, innovative compared to what he's done before right like i think the last probably innovative thing he's done career-wise is like when he started using an iphone uh to make movies other than that it's just like yeah just like crank them out what about the cool Um, lenses in this chris (laughs) man that's the one thing i noticed when you start watching this your eyes are not going crazy uh he used i can't remember what exactly was it's like vintage lenses that he found yeah um You'll notice that, like, I don't know the technical terms because I'm not a filmmaker, but like how it, how it stuck out to me as I was watching a scene and then the peripheral, the it's almost like they're stretched out. Uh, right. And so it's almost like a, almost like a fish eye sort of thing going on. How would you describe it? Yeah, it's like fish eye, on, but only on the left and right. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's uh, it's it's annoying enough that you definitely <laughs> notice it, especially in the more boring parts of the movie. Yeah. Or any time, obviously, a character uh, walks from the left of the frame to the right or back or vice versa. Um, 
but uh i don't know it's just like he's he's having fun we it did remind me of how we talked about uh zack snyder's army of the dead where it's like he clearly wanted to just like play with a whole bunch of old vintage stuff and whereas zack snyder's uh more maximalist soderbergh's maybe more minimalist and he like just picked this one lens but because he picked that one lens uh it it it's like distractingly ubiquitous throughout the film. Um, Except for the parts where I think the movie actually works and you can actually like kind of see why he, he chose it. Um, But it's just strange that he chose it for the entirety. Uh, It makes a lot more sense to me anyways, or if it makes you be able to disappear into the movie more when like, I don't know, Wes Anderson does something silly, like uses different aspect ratios for different time periods. But like, if you're, if the movie's good enough and you sink into the story, then those things are like a cool Easter egg that you notice on the second or third viewing, yeah. but definitely not on the first. Yeah. Um, but here it's just kind of, it's in your face and uh, yeah, but he, he, he kind of, he doesn't care. I don't think. No, do he's so far past care. I mean, this guy hasn't cared yeah. since 2002. <laughs> I mean, he remade Solaris. I mean, who does that? You yeah. can't do that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what this thing is about. So no sudden move. I would call it, would you call it noir? Yeah, yeah. Right? It's yeah I mean, it's um, yeah. And I mean, we're going to get into this, I'm sure. But let's put it out front, yeah. um, especially since I feel like a lot of the film universe is talking about this. Criterion just put out a new neo-noir collection um, on their streaming service. Uh, does it do we think that we can call this neo-noir even though it takes place in the 50s? That's fine. I think because I was just watching one today with uh, Robert Meacham. I forget what it's called. Uh, Farewell Something. Yeah, it's if it's set in the fifties, that one's set in the forties. That's totally fine. It's still neo noir, um, because it was made in modern yeah, made day. Modern day the and fact. then you know it's obviously like trying to um, harken back to that time period, but it it can't right. You can't go back in, in, into the past. So there's always right. this sort of right. postmodernist, whatever you want to call it, sheen to everything that's going on. Um, this one is what's interesting about this. There does not seem to be a lot of I wouldn't call it playfulness. Uh, maybe in the production the editing and stuff like that but in the storytelling itself it seems pretty rote um i mean the log line here set in 1954 detroit no sudden move centers on a group of small-time criminals who are hired to steal what they think is a simple document when their plan goes horribly wrong they seek out hired them and for what ultimate purpose as they weave through the race-torn rapidly changing city um the thing that stood out to me the most is how genre-y this movie is um i just did not think that he it's like he settled on this pretty simple idea and we when we dive into the conception we can talk about that a little bit more simple concept simple idea and he just runs with it and lets don Cheadle. Uh, speaking of which the stars don Cheadle, bichon del toro david harbour john ham uh brendan frazier Kieran culkin uh amy simitz um there's uh, julia fox ray liotta matt damon shows up uh it's like one of those all-star <laughs> cast movies which is kind of his one of his calling cards thinking back to the oceans movies um but it right. is a i think a fairly straightforward uh crime thriller noir would you agree with that in terms of like the plot structure and kind of what's happening yeah it's like uh it's very nuts and bolts yeah. um doesn't really feel like it doesn't have the uh, as many of the comedic elements as the oceans movies did or logan lucky um but it also like doesn't have this like fierce darkness to it really 
that the limey did which is my personal favorite soderbergh movie um so it kind of fills this space i mean a lot of people have been comparing it to out of sight which is also one of my favorite soderbergh's um but you really don't have like there's no romance um going on in it uh i mean there's there's definitely it's a stacked cast and so there's definitely interesting things happening uh here and there but i mean I don't know. I, 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 once again, I'm just going to be as blunt as I can be. Like I was all on board for this movie up until they, the criminals played by Cheadle del Toro and Culkin. Um, till they took their masks off. Basically when that happened, I was, I just, just the first I, like 15 I lost track. Minutes of the- <laughs> I know, but like the first 15 minutes of this movie are so freaking good. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, I see what you're saying. I see where you go, but it's like, it's uh, a classic setup though. The, the, the heist gone wrong. I mean, it's like an every noir film. I mean, he definitely yeah. like, you could go through as you're watching this and spot, you know, Chinatown, um, the third man, like it all pops mm-hmm. up over and over again. Uh, so it's definitely like he wanted to stay within the guardrails of a genre that's very, very well established and has been for like, what, 70 years. Um, yeah. Before we dive into Conception, I mean, let's talk about Soderbergh, because some people who are younger may not know him all that well. Um, yeah. How did you first, you know, what was your first sort of experience with him? It was probably out of sight in 98. Um you know, Jackie Brown, which is not Soderbergh, it's Tarantino, yeah. but both of those films are based off Elmore Leonard novels. And uh, when Jackie Brown came out, I read Rum Punch, which is the Leonard novel it was based on. And then I, then I heard, I don't remember how, like, how did you, how do we hear about things in the 90s? I don't remember. It'd be like, like totally film development. Like you, like you, right. this, for this, you probably read an Entertainment Weekly. Yeah, exactly. Like some, I read something. Yeah, it was probably like one of those fall movie previews or yeah. something. And it was like out of sight uh, from director Steven Soderbergh uh, based on a, an Elmore Leonard novel. And so like I got hyped for it. Um, and then, of course, when I saw that, uh, I was obsessed and wanted to, especially because they shared, they actually shared a character. Um, both Jackie Brown and Out of Sight have Michael Keaton playing the, uh, um, I think, FDA agent. F not FDA. <laughs> oh my God. Um, DEA agent. Yeah. FDA. That'd be better. Um, and, uh, and so then I went back and looked at uh, what Soderbergh had done leading up to out of sight. And uh, obviously he um, is probably one of the biggest nineties filmmakers known for uh, essentially like just being scrappy and sticking around until he uh, made was able to make his first feature, Sex Lives and Videotape, and then it blew up on the film festival circuit. It uh, won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Uh, it earned Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay, and so I immediately sought that out. And I also and I remember feeling kind of like dirty as like <laughs> a fifteen year old going to like riding my bicycle to the nearest uh, like independent video store and like looking for Sex Lies and Videotape and like yeah it was weird um and then but then as soon as i saw that and like that definitely changed my idea of like what movies could be because you could tell how like low budget it was and how much it was like a play but also like the camera angles were so um uh specific and deliberate and uh it i think that was like a huge eye-opening for me ironically though like i was i want uh when after like rewatching out of sight over and over again and then seeing the limey and 
watching Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Like, I never really saw any of his other 90s movies. Yeah. I've never seen King of the Hill, Underneath, Grey's Anatomy, Schizopolis. Um, but I would definitely, like, started making sure to see every Soderbergh movie after that. Actually, I still haven't seen Ocean's 13 now that I think about it. I think you don't need to. Um, yeah, probably, probably not. not a required <laughs> viewing. Um, How about you, Dan? You know, I have a weird sort of, I guess, relationship with Soderbergh. Um, I think the first movie I saw him was The Limey. And I feel like I saw it with okay. one of you guys. Um, oh, somebody from really? high school. You were Hendrix. And um, I don't remember if we saw it in the theater. I think we got a blockbuster. Um it was probably the line. I saw the line right around when traffic came out. So traffic mm-hmm. is probably the first one I saw of his movies in the theater. And that blew me away. Like that to me was like, you know, as like, how old was yeah. I 17? Probably then um, it, it, it was beyond any sort of sort of uh, movie telling that I've seen before storytelling. I should say it just was a different type of making a film. Um, and also getting like a wide release, which is super surprising. Um, it blew me away, and I've never seen Out of Sight. I have never seen Sex, Lies, and Videotape. What? Uh, I've never seen anything he's done in the 90s besides The Limey, which I didn't like, by the way, when I saw it. What? Uh, yeah. Have you seen it since then? I have not gone out and seen it. I should okay. because I'm super noir films these days, and it's kind of has that vibe to it. Um, But yeah, so I you know, I loved Traffic. Um, Aaron Brockovich, too, I saw back in the day. You know, it's so hard to like after like reviewing Soderbergh's kind of career, it is a a really fascinating career because he basically starts out hitting a grand slam with sex, lies and videotape kind of doesn't disappear, but disappears from, I would say like sort of the mainstream press until out of sight comes out in 1998. And then he kind of, that's Mm -hmm. another sort of big, a big win for him. Limey's was definitely very quiet. As you remember, Uh, maybe a lot of end of the year lists, but like it's, that was not a big hit or anything like that. It was a. It had to have been a limited release. I think, I think so. I yeah, I it's like an art house it. movie, and then right. I I saw it at like a downtown theater, yeah, like Oriental mentor, or something. Right? Yeah. Um, and then Aaron Brockovich and Traffic come out, and he like he gets nominated for a director twice that year, I think, and wins for Traffic. So with the That's first insane. ten years of his career, he's he's been up and down, and it's kind of been the same story with him ever since then. Um, you know, Traffic I think is was one of my favorite films. I dread going back and revisiting it i have not watched it in like a decade uh, yeah, i don't know if i want to um i don't know if i saw i briefly caught uh it on tv or hbo or something like a little segment i was like oh wow this is really this is really uh affected uh the different colors for the different characters it was like a little much um so i, I might go back and watch but that was a definitely a pivotal uh film in sort of my understanding of filmmaking and art and stuff like that uh, then I saw Sol- Solaris. Um, Hendrix actually uh, forced me to watch that at his house once, and I was oh, yes, our, our 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 Hollywood insider yes. guest appeared on our the Fountain episode. He did yes, yep. and um, that blew me away even more than Traffic. Uh, and people hate that film, and I get that. I get. I don't understand why. I, it's a very difficult film, um, and I've actually I've never seen the original. I know uh, here, uh, you know. Um, but it, I thought it was wonderful. And then um, I had a really interesting moment with Soderbergh, actually. Uh, hmm. So I was living in San Francisco. Um, che was coming out. Che 1 and 2. This is 2009. This is biopic of Che Guevara. And two right. parts, like six hours long. Super arty. And I read an interview with him. And he, was, he said something like, um, 
and I I just took it the wrong way. Maybe it was like, no one needs an education. You don't need to go to college, blah, blah, blah. It's pointless. Okay. I was like, okay, that's a, that's a strong stance Odd. And then I went to go see all of Che all at once, like um, a full screening of it and somewhere in San Francisco. And it was terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was absolutely <laughs> boring. Like I fell asleep. And, mm-hmm. you know, since then, I haven't really followed what he's been up to. I've never seen Girlfriend Experience, never seen The Informant. Contagion is one of my favorite movies, but only because it's like super nerdy, not because it's a good movie, because it's not. Uh, Magic Mike is wonderful, <laughs> uh, super fun. Um, it's just, for me, it's just been very up and down. And like, yeah. um, I, I am blown away by what he has accomplished and what he has done for filmmaking and directing. Um, and he look he has a lot of he has a lot of really great films um it's just you know they're not all they're not it's not like wes anderson like when wes anderson makes a movie i'm going to like it on some level uh that's not the case with soderbergh he is not that curated with his time and what he's doing in his projects he just goes for it constantly he's go 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 um and so with this one you know i was interested mostly because because he wasn't going to do something crazy. I kind of felt like he was going to do like a hard boiled, um, you know, crime thriller. And so I was pretty excited about it. Um, where does this thing come from? Who's the writer on this? Who's Ed? Oliver? Yeah, that was a really, like I had to do a double take when I checked the writer writing credit um, right before I watched it. Cause I was like, what? And that might've been like playing with expectations. So yes, Ed Solomon, uh, somebody that, Soderbergh has only collaborated with once before and it was on TV, a TV show I'd never heard of from 2017 yeah. called Mosaic. On HBO, um, it had, uh, what's, uh, uh, Pee Wee Herman in it. What's his name? Um, Paul, Ru- Paul, Paul, Paul Rubens. Rubens yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Nobody's um, But yeah, uh, but obvi- uh, it's, it's, you might, everybody I think would know Solomon way more for uh, writing some of the most successful and iconic films of the 80s and 90s, uh, as well as several episodes of uh, one of Gary Shandling's shows um, in the 80s, uh, and Laverne and Shirley in the 80s too. But he's he did the first, actually he's done all three Bill and Ted films. Yeah, he did new ones uh, Yeah, yeah, okay, yes, he did all yeah. three of them. Right. Um, the Super Mario Brothers movie, it's iconic for a bad reason, but still uh, kind of a crazy resume. And then Men in Black, Charlie's Angels, the first one, and then both Now You See Me movies. It's just like, what the hell? <laughs> how, how did this guy do all of this stuff and then team up with Soderbergh for a, a neo-noir? that just seems so out of left field. And I think that that perhaps played with my expectations because I was honestly expecting something a lot more playful than what we got like you kind of alluded to earlier and uh it's kind of unfortunate um in my opinion uh because yeah i i love the bill and ted movies and uh even the now you see movies now you see me movies are trash just complete utter trash but they are so fun to watch uh so i thought this would be at least fun to watch um but then you i mean it's just like the i don't remember the last time soderbergh has been fun either i never saw let them what's that that movie let them all talk or whatever from last year um but uh supposedly that's um the most playful he's been perhaps since uh other than logan lucky um i don't know i think it just totally depends on the cast and uh i love 
Benicio del Toro. Um, I've never really been a huge Don Cheadle fan, um, but I think with that duo, like you either got to let them go hog wild, otherwise they're just going to be understated. Um, and they definitely went the understated route here. Uh, you know, Kieran Culkin was uh, is huge. Um, for me, because of uh, his character on Succession and having the movie come out on HBO Max, it's just like it feels like where did it come? Where did this uh, movie change from like perhaps an exciting idea where Soderbergh um, and Solomon decided to come back together um, along with producer Casey Silver um, in the vein? Like they were literally thinking about uh, the Oceans films, including the fact that uh, Clooney was originally attached to this movie back when it was called kill switch uh in the early stages so like where do you think like i mean i i think you liked the movie more than i did yeah, yeah. but where where did where did the fun go dan why this seems like it was well, in a perfect powder keg for that what's bizarre to this is in multiple interviews solomon calls it like the cousin of one of the oceans movies um and i don't really get that comparison at all because mm-hmm. the Oceans movies have, I would, they're definitely not noir films at all. Um, right. They're heist movies, which is more like a, what is that, Rafifi I'm thinking of? Right. Um, mm-hmm. it, and even that's not playful. Like the Oceans movies just have a very breezy vibe to them. This has no breezy vibe. This is like a stark, super dark, um, you know, you can't win vibe um and it it was funny that i was just sort of thinking about this um now it's just popping into my head uh because in one of the interviews solomon talks about um you know let's make a really sparse really spare 70s style noir film um that's three criminals who never who never met before and just do a gig and it goes drastically wrong a very classical kind of um noir setup but the, the the key there is the 70s style and like, uh, you're gonna hate that I'm bringing this up, but Quentin Tarantino was on Joe <laughs> <Show> Rogan, <laughs> and um, you know, he brought up this point about the difference between 70s filmmaking and 80s filmmaking, and he brings the. It's a really fascinating analogy between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray. It's just you go watch that part, don't watch the rest. Um, it's on a clip on on YouTube somewhere. Um, but I think one of the things that stood out to me with this film and the approach here is it's almost like, and I get the sense that Soderbergh doesn't, he's not a huge planner in the sense that like, he probably went in with this idea. I, I want to do a Don Cheadle film. They have this really cool idea of doing it in the 1950s when the this, this city's, you know, um, the car manufacturers own the city essentially. And there's just a lot of racial tension. When is there not in, in the United States? But I mean, it was a special period of that. Um, so they have this really elaborate sort of setup. Do you think this? I'm going to throw this question back at you. Do you think they had thought the tone was going to be more light and breezy when they started this? And like Steven I mean, sort of like altered it as they went along. I, I just get the sense that he just kind of goes with whatever's in his bones. Right, right. I mean, I do. I mean, I, I'm curious to go back and look at this mosaic project that solomon and soderbergh worked on together um i don't know what the tone was there but if you're calling it a cousin of the oceans movies and this is the guy that made out of sight as well plus logan lucky which was also a heist movie um it's just 
it, it might be an expectations game because you know one thing that I I did appreciate about the movie is like the kind of more it had more meat on its bones thematically. Uh, it was fascinating to kind of learn sideways about the uh, kind of uh, exploitative redlining that was happening in Detroit and how that affected Cheadle's character. Um, he has an interesting quote about like you know he wanted to. Uh, just throw the audience in there. And so you don't know about who these people are. You learn as you go rather than there being a lot of front loaded exposition, which is, you know, a great, I think that's a a very solid uh, strategy when it comes to a heist movie, a noir movie. Like, like you said, like he knew what he was doing. And I think Solomon did too, to some degree, even though this is his first kind of more serious project um though you could argue that the now you see movie now you see me films are also like essentially heist movies just with magicians um <laughs> and and yet i i still have to go back to it as like maybe like how much of this is also the pandemic uh i don't want to put everything through that lens mm-hmm. but like they wanted to get this done and they pushed it through and like that's the reason they lost clooney is because clooney is like i've got an asthmatic kid i'm not gonna um, risk it by going to make a movie while, and this was probably, you know, back in this, I don't know, the summer or something yeah, I think it was just, uh, of 2020 yeah. when, you know, the, the, the numbers were still crazy uh, yeah. with COVID. We were way before like the, the really scary part of COVID, which was probably yeah. in the fall and in, in winter when the, the death started to rise all across the country dramatically. And it's funny you bring that up because Don Cheadle in one of the interviews, I think from AP news, um, you know, I think Soderbergh basically says that Cheetah was wasn't necessarily eager to return uh, to a film set, and yeah. he kind of had to get, um, you know, convinced by Soderbergh to do this. And Soderbergh paid for all this COVID testing out of pocket. But it is true, though. It's like making a film in that type of environment is not necessarily going to lend itself to like a lot of collaboration, right? When you're talking to right. each other with masks on. Uh, when you're not shooting, it just uh, it had to affect the filmmaking in some way. Um, and that, and maybe that's where you get that tone, right? Is like you're not only getting, you're not only withholding the communication piece somewhat, or you're kind of just getting through it. Um, but you very much become a product of your environment. And if everybody's constantly getting tested for an airborne disease similar to one from a previous Soderbergh movie. <laughs> like no, nobody's having fun there. Like it's, it, it it's going to give it this really kind of heavy morose vibe, which, you know, depending on how the movie lands with you could really make it that much more powerful. But, um, but for me, I wasn't there. <laughs> I was, and I don't know who who really was. I think it was interesting. Also, the, the strategy for release, which we'll get to more in a bit. But uh, like the like the like the beginning of July, like right before a huge holiday weekend, um, I, it something didn't feel right about it. Yeah, that, that's a one thing too. Like it, when you looking back at the conception of this, and sort of you know, we always sort of we sometimes talk about how movies get made and how because it's very difficult to make a movie. Like it's not something you know, raising ten million dollars, twenty million dollars of this is an incredibly difficult task to do. And we've talked like Shane we talked about Shane Black, how he had all these ideas, but he could never raise money. It's a very common thing. Richard Kelly is probably another example of that. Um just because you have great ideas and you have some sort of track record does not mean you're gonna get a million dollars from somebody. It doesn't happen that way. So something came together here with Steven and Casey Silver 
um they're really the glue here and ed salmon was added a little bit later um but like okay let's do a hypothetical i walk into the room i'm steven soderbergh i got a producer here i've done a show for you guys mosaic it's hbo it's warner brothers same company right um and i lay down this concept i almost think he did a switcheroo where he was like mm, yeah. hey we're gonna do another heist movie well yeah it's steven steven does all these like great really fun interesting heist movies yeah. like Lucky <laughs> logan was cool financially did okay um but all the oceans movie did so well if he gets like joss brolin or george clooney um why do you green light something like this because here's what i'm saying is take out like the covid stuff and, and the movie theater business kind of going under at least temporarily hopefully uh exhibition or movie theaters at least um what was the sell here because if you told me hey we're gonna make a hard-boiled noir film with don Cheadle as the lead uh who john Cheadle's he's um you know a decent what you call like more like b-list or a-list which i mean he he's won the best actor oscar like the yeah the guy uh but i do think it was like that was very much a right time right place situation with hotel rwanda um but do, would you um, say but that yeah, like he's like, a huge star he's not a huge no. star no if we're talking about like if we're talking about like name recognition yeah like b-list yeah, he's not like the rock uh, which or something. hurts to kind of say because he everybody knows him but yeah you're right he's like it is kind of interesting that he he wanted to make a movie with like a, a don Cheadle vehicle um, yeah that was that was the impetus right yeah, because I don't think anybody's really done that since Hotel Rwanda. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, he's kind of done, he's always done kind of a side character kind of role. I mean, what do you think the mm-hmm. selling point was to the think like an HBO executive or Warner Brothers executive? Are you thinking about money? Well, yeah, I mean, you're, we haven't really brought up this, but this is another one of those straight to streaming films where the production budget is nowhere to be found on Nothing, the internet, yeah. right? Um, and with Soderbergh in particular, I mean, you make a good point here in our notes that Logan Lucky cost twenty nine million, but Magic Mike cost seven. So, like, that's a huge like gulf between the two films. And you know, this one is maybe a little more. Um, it's more ensemble, uh, and like Magic Mike, you basically just had Channing Tatum, who was still like nascent in his career, but Matthew McConaughey, um, Logan Lucky, like you had Channing Tatum, but you didn't have really. Um, that many other uh, big names like you've got a lot of names here but like they're all and matt damon's on build so he's doing this uh probably like for for yeah for scale um and so you're really not spending a lot on the cast even with like david harbour from stranger things john ham from mad Men. like they're it adds up but like i'm i don't know what would you say i'm guessing this is maybe 15 i would say like 15 to 20 yeah you got like the period piece part of it too is a little bit difficult right right a lot of production design frazier how they afford him (laughs) oh man i mean that but that but that's definitely uh like when it comes to these kinds of marketing things um like for a straight to streaming movie especially in i mean who knows what they were thinking the landscape would be like but they're definitely not advertising this like they were uh the conjuring movie or even the mortal Kombat movie right no, like this is like a, <laughs> this is like i think a very specific democrat i mean us like, exactly it's for like people <laughs> it's who are for like, the podcasters like 30, 30s 40s <laughs> like millennial right, older right. you know younger gen x or something um 
And, uh, but I just financially doesn't make any sense, but we're kind of in la la land when it comes to finances and movies, because like, it's essentially a content race arms race. Yes. And it's like, you got to get the, the best content. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad, just get it, right. get eyeballs on it and keep, keep your subscribers from leaving. It's like reducing insurance yeah. rates is really what it's all about. Um, yeah. And Soderbergh has a, uh, has a funny quote about how he, uh, it, it, it's, it's somewhat unclear whether he's uh, being sarcastic, but he refers to himself as the cockroach of the industry. Oh, yeah. Right. Or like he, 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 he just keeps surviving no matter how many like uh, um, non hits he makes. Uh, like he really hasn't had a hit. Right. Since probably magic Mike. Yeah. That's that. I think that's and even that wasn't a huge hit. Right. No, I don't think it was um, a massive it was hu- hit. Um, it was huge enough to merit a sequel, but like, other than that, it's like the Ocean's movies. Like, I feel like a lot of people probably expected after Ocean Thirteen, he would just continue making these kind of star-studded things. But also, like, there's some there's interesting like like there's some people that believe that the Ocean's movies was basically the end of like the adult movie star. Uh, uh, era really right? i've never heard that, this like, theory before i like that yeah i like that theory a lot yeah right because like after the 2000 like oceans 13 was what 07 yeah and then like can you think of any like then you know iron man was 2008 and then it's just like it's all it's all for kids after that yeah, that's a good um, point. those those big budget movies so i mean it's it definitely seems like long long story short that uh essentially um he probably has just had this long working relationship with HBO between Mosaic and Let Them All Talk um, and Behind the Candelabra. And so he, it was probably just like standing, uh, <laughs> you know, standing invite like, oh, we've got this meeting with Soderbergh. Can you make it for under 20? Oh, yeah, no problem. Great. Yeah. Make it for us. Content yeah. farm. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. He's got the na- and he's got the names attached. That's the most important thing. Exactly. Like he's got John yeah, Hamm. Yeah. He's got. Um, you know, it's, everybody's in this movie, essentially. Um, what did, you know, so let's talk about like the release here. We're kind of, you know, transitioning, talking about streaming only. Um, a, a question that popped in my head was that like, did they, they must have greenlit this before COVID hit, right? Had to have. Yeah. Um, cause did they expect this to play in theaters. I mean, like how they, limited i guess because like i i i think logan lucky had a a wide, wide. actually yeah, wide, yeah. yeah that was but then like unsane was definitely limited yeah. i don't even know what the laundromat is from, 90, that was, from 2019 uh, um meryl streep uh netflix netflix yeah oh okay so like yeah i mean it seemed like um with the yeah i mean side effects was was was, was not a huge hit was it no, definitely not. It was on like every DVD yeah. like shelf for rental. Remember that back in the day? Or so, it was yeah, like everywhere, and like nobody wanted to watch <laughs> right. it. And you're like, okay. So I think it's just been a lot of up. Like you said, he's had a turbulent decade, and so <laughs> they they probably were expecting it to be. That's my guess, anyway. What do you think? Limited, and then yeah, probably um, art house. Yeah. Um, but th- that sort of if if I'm in their seat, I'd be like, well if I'm going to release this in theater, it's got to be in October. It's got to be October, right. November. It cannot be in the summer. That makes zero sense. Or even in the spring. Like, it, I don't like know, think Mar- they would really yeah. 
Okay, yeah. I can They're not, it's not really an awards push, but it's definitely not a summer movie. But I also think like, I don't know, The Limey came out in the summer. So. Yeah, but that was kind of you know, financially knows? not a, a great situation. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. How do critics think about this? I mean, like 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, yeah, 75 score. I mean, um, like you said, it's it's catnip for the people that like have a, a wide ranging background not working background knowledge of uh not only soderbergh as a careerist but also of film noir right yeah. so like i feel like it's 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 pretty fish in a barrel kind of thing uh as long as they hit the beats and that i mean that's one of the lead quotes you have here in our notes from adam graham detroit news like hometown of yeah. where the movie takes place he says no sudden move offers a look at a city in a period of transition and what that transition does to everyone around it. Big beats crackle, the smaller ones hang around like an aftershock. Don't be surprised if it ends up knocking you out. And uh, G. Allen Johnson of the San Francisco, San Francisco Chronicle wrote, even as everyone's plans unravel, the film does not. The script by Ed Solomon is sharp, as is Soderbergh's direction. And last but not least, one last positive one to read off. David Rudney of Hollywood Reporter, the film's title might adhere to the 1950s noir template. By the way, I hate the title. But the <laughs> camera work and editing are full of sudden moves that contribute to the exhilarating storytelling. I find this strange, exhilarating, crackle. I, see, I, I I love this film, and I agree with none of the positive um, okay. <laughs> reviews at all. I mean, the negative ones are more fun. Uh, this is no Ocean's Eleven. It's a it's as dour and sluggish and uh, deliberative as Soderbergh's other crime caper franchise is joyfully slick and stylish. It's Mark Kennedy from AP News. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, the New Yorker one's pretty brutal with Richard Brody, who I have a love-hate relationship (laughs) with. Um, The movie depends on a narrative shell game that withholds crucial information in the interest of stoking suspense, conjuring mystery, foregrounding visible action, and keeping a rapid pace. Soderbergh displays no interest in the character's experience, knowledge, and perspectives. Um, Rather, they're reduced to roles in the plot, becoming pieces in the chess game that Soderbergh is playing for fun, while nonetheless proclaiming and the emblazoned themes of the adventure are grander significance. I, I, this is why I, I love Richard Brody because, like, he's he's <laughs> right. He's always right, even when he's wrong. Um, <laughs> and so he really hits the nail on the head. Like, this is essentially yeah. a paint by numbers crime thriller. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a period piece. It's neo noir. Yeah, it has all these tags to it, but it follows the beats one by one. And um, there is filled with homage just filled with it um the matt damon speech is like feels straight out of chinatown uh like that Mm -hmm. same bold i'm always gonna win you're always gonna lose here's why speech um and but for me for some reason i kind of fall more i think um in sort of the critical viewpoint of just maybe i'm a little bit of a fanboy you know, maybe yep. I, I love that genre so much that I don't need much more than Soderbergh, um, you know, just, you know, casually hitting those right notes at the right time. Um, and I think for the casual viewer, and we see this in the audience scores, 64% of Rotten Tomatoes audience score. Oof. Uh, IMDb of 67. I had a Google rating. I like Google rating for some reason. I'm really fascinated by Google rating, like what that means. 69%, which is not high. Um, you know, what, I mean, you, I think you're definitely more on this sort of critical camp. What, where, where is it missing with a mass audience here? 
You know, it's definitely feels like there's a like half. I mean, because the audience is still like film Twitter and Letterbox. Like, and the Letterbox score is a little higher than every the, than the other yeah. ones, uh, a seventy. Um, but I think for the most part, it, it, it. I wonder, like you said, like if this had come out in the fall or if it came out in the spring, like people. I don't think myself included, and I, and I also am like a sucker for noir. Um, am uh. I was just not feeling it for Fourth of July weekend, and so I, I I could definitely see myself revisiting this, um, uh, when I'm not having like a celebration with family, and maybe, uh, you know, we've had a, a couple frigid days in a row, and I just curl up in the basement and just get like sucked into the narrative shell game to use Brody's words because that's the kind of thing that you want, like you want this kind of, uh technical exercise there was that was another review i read somewhere i forget where um which is what soderbergh has kind of been perfecting over the years um and he was just trying it in another through another lens uh no pun intended right he's he's trying to like do this thing and he like you said earlier he doesn't care how wide ranging how far reaching the appeal is um he just wants to do See if he can pull this thing off, which makes sense since he's been, you know, so, you know, uh, reliable when it comes to the heist genre. Like he's, can I, can I pull this off? Can I get away with this? And, uh, some people eat it up like, <laughs> like <Okay>. popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> like you. And whereas some people are just kind of like, like I, I, I wanted to see where it went and like the acting was great and, uh, the script had some had its moments, but at the end of it, I'm just feeling like, yeah, like what do I remember? Yeah. Like really, I mean, usually we do this this show we record like the day or two after, but because of the holiday weekend, I I watched this in the middle of it, and a lot of stuff has happened since it's been like three or four days, and so like I'm trying to think back. Um, I I want it. I really remember. The scene between Amy Simmons's character and the the neighbor lady, where there's like some kind of slight insinuation that they are an item, that they're like having an affair and like they want to go on vacation together. Oh yeah, um, like that was super fascinating, but also like just a morsel. Um, Kieran Culkin, uh, you know, exasperatingly taking his mask off in the back of the car. Um, great moment, like just totally floored me uh but like other than that it just feels like another one where i'm like huh. like i actually think i got more like i'm i'm thankful for the movie because it got me reading about what was going on in detroit in the 50s and so like thank you for bringing me to that wikipedia rabbit hole soderbergh <laughs> but that was a much more nourishing and fulfilling than actually watching your movie <laughs> that was only like five percent actually about that stuff um i don't know what do you think that the cast had anything to do with? I just, I, I kind of wonder the way that he cast it, it was almost overcast. You know, like everybody, mm-hmm. every part <laughs> felt like the person that was playing it was just almost too much, like Ray Liotta, especially. Um, it's yeah. it just sort of like, <laughs> um, I don't know, like Don Cheeto, I think, was great. Benicio del Toro was always good. I mean, he's never never bad in something usually 
David mm-hmm. I, David Harbour I thought was fantastic. Yeah, he was. That was really impressive. I thought John Hamm was not off. very good. No, he was phoning in. Yeah, it, he like. just didn't really seem. Yeah, but also his character, like it was just the the regular detective. Exactly. Like, yeah. What do you think of Brendan yeah. Fraser's comeback here? You know, I literally didn't recognize him. Yeah, he looks so um, I, I remember I saw Brendan Fraser's name in the cast, and then I watched and like forgot to look look for him. Yeah. And so then, and then when the movie's over and I see the credits roll again, I was like, Wait, what the hell? Who was he? Yeah. And then I, re- I, you know, to quick Google search, but like, I feel like if I saw this movie before the internet, like I would have been like, wait, who the frick was Brendan Fraser? <laughs> um, but I mean, it, it's, it's good that he's back in our lives, yeah. but also like, I don't think that was, there was much to no. it. The same thing with Julia Fox, who like blew everyone's mind away in Uncut Gems. And then is like given basically nothing here, but also like does, is kind of miscast too. Miscast, I would say um, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I it's, thought Kieran hey. Culkin was phenomenal, and a little oh, bit yeah. he is in the movie. Not spoiler alert. I know. Um, I want to see him in a leading role. Yeah, he's just there's something about that guy. He's got something. Um, so, any final thoughts? Where do you think Soderbergh goes here? Hmm. Is he just gonna like just keep doing this? <laughs> you know, like just keep doing these <laughs> right. like passion projects that are like like semi business related in terms of making money, but not really like, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, he's, yeah, I don't know. I'm fascinated with the guy, even though I, you know, I say that and yet I, there's probably half his movie, maybe a little less than half his movies that I've actually seen um, at this point. But uh, I don't know what hasn't he done yet. Like he's done TV, is maybe he's done prestige TV. Right. Oh yeah. The Nick. Um, uh, what it, <laughs> I'd like to, I think once, once again, like the heart of, um, out of sight, um, like the narrative inner, the narrative, uh, experimentation in the limey is amazing in my opinion, but, uh, that romance in out of sight. And I, it's been a good minute since we've seen a really solid romance. I want to see him do that. I want to see him go for it. I want to see him Uh, like make contagion too. Oh God! See. Of course he. Did. Let's get more clinical. Yeah, let's get. Can we get more <laughs> sterile? <laughs> like this whole thing. Uh, you know what he hasn't done as a horror movie. Like a real, mm. I guess unsane. No, well, unsane and it's psychological yeah, thriller. Yeah, but yeah, I want like a, I want a Soderbergh slasher. Can he do Scream Six? Yeah, he would do it. <laughs> he would totally sign up for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I don't know. I think my final take on it is like, look, I love it. I love this movie. I put it in my top five Soderbergh films. Did you oh, see yeah, that? your top five Soderbergh. Mine goes yeah, Traffic, Contagion, Solaris, Magic Mike, uh, and sudden, No Sudden Move. What do you have? I've got The Limey, Out of Sight, Traffic, Magic Mike, Solaris. Your top three before, you know, 2000 or before. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But I, I, I didn't see Magic Mike when it came out in 2012. Because I was just like, oh, Soderbergh, what, what's going on with you? But then, yeah, I saw, I watched it on streaming like maybe three years ago. Yeah. And I was just like, whoa, this is actually. And once again, though, like, I think the, uh, and I don't know, maybe I'm just like spitballing here, but the combination of like Soderbergh's proficiency with uh, like the undeniable, like intense charm of Channing Tatum. Yeah um was a big deal and the fact that like he had, hadn't 
directed Channing Tatum prior to that. And like, he was this kind of up and coming, like, right, like really huge rising star. Um, and I think that was really special. And I don't know if he's really done that because he keeps coming back to this old well of, um, you know, collaborating with the people from the oceans movies or the people from traffic or the people like, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I think that there's, uh, there's play, there's, uh, things for Soderbergh to do, but it just totally depends on if it happens to align with whatever, you know, itch he wants to scratch at any given moment because he doesn't he doesn't want to make like he's not thinking he thinks so little i feel of the audience remember he did the oscars he just cares about the craft yeah oscars like what was that about yeah i don't know why why would he take that job i think he's just like he's one of those guys who just wants a constant challenge he likes to put himself in like a terrible situation (laughs) always and tries to get himself out of it well the oscars he didn't get himself out of it. it was terrible Uh, what do we have coming up uh, next week in episode six of season four an old movie what do we got yes uh, her our oldest movie yet um but i i'm a sucker for it it's one of my favorite films of all time it's the 40th anniversary this year of john landis's horror comedy an american werewolf in london and it's new to streaming on shutter this month so definitely uh if you are a horror fan and you've never tried shutter i can't recommend it enough awesome. um and this will be a really fun one to go back and talk about and see what history we can uh dig up um on the internet for a movie from 1981 uh, i've never seen it by the way what <laughs> oh my god you're in for a treat all right thanks for listening folks this has been film tricks. <laughs> <laughs>